welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about women business owners, brought to you by Black Enterprise. I'm your host, Elisa Gums. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we'll sit down with one successful CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a Black woman in business. Today's episode is all about starting from scratch. We're chatting with serial entrepreneur, Savitra Wilson, CEO of Resilia and Solid Ground Innovations, who started her first company at just 22 with no capital and bootstrapped it to a seven-figure business. Welcome to Sisters Inc., Savitra, and thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you for having me. Happy to just be here and being on to, to share my story with those who are out there listening. There are so many aspiring entrepreneurs who have an idea, but they get stuck because they don't know how to start um, and they don't know how to pay for it. I think a lot of people, especially younger people, think they need to get more experience or they need to save up more money first. Take us back to when you were just starting out um, and tell us what it was like for you as a 22-year-old starting a business. What were you feeling? So when I was starting out, it's pros and cons to starting out that young. One, you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes that can be a good thing and a bad thing because you're not inhibited by a lot of fear, right? And so you're young, you don't have that much to lose. And so you're just jumping out there um, and going for it. And so for me, starting out, I was in professional services. And so I had to really figure out what I was going to sell, what services I felt that aligned to my capabilities as a consultant. Um, I felt that I had worked long enough inside of the nonprofit sphere, and I was working for a large nonprofit at the time. And so when I got my first uh, client, it was via that consulting um, that consulting edge. And so for me, starting out, not having any money, not having the ability to go to my parents, um, and my mother had actually just passed away, it was just really just going for it. Um, but that young, you're green, you're naive, um, you don't know what you don't know, as I mentioned earlier, and you just have to like really shoot your shot and begin to build upon whatever capabilities that you have. And for me, coming right out of college. You mentioned your parents, and I think that um, that's another thing that sort of trips up aspiring entrepreneurs. They think there's this like magical, perfect time to start a business, or they're like, this isn't the right time for me. You you were not only young, but you had lost both of your parents. Um, you know, and if I may ask, how did you handle the things that were going on in your life um, in order to be able to start and run a business? Yeah, so my father who passed away when I was eight, he was an entrepreneur. Um, I always say that I have the heart of my mother, but the business mind of my father. And I do feel that he passed that down to me, even though I was very young when he passed away. When my mother passed away, it was very sudden. And she passed literally four days before Christmas in 2008. I had just graduated from college just a few months. Um, and then a few months after that, I started my business. And so I talked to a lot of my friends who say that they actually felt that they couldn't go out and be an entrepreneur or start something. They had to go to college. They had to become a doctor, a lawyer, um, you know, an engineer because their parents were, wanted them to have that good job. Because my parents weren't there, right? 
um, I essentially had to lean on myself to make those decisions. Um, and I feel like that actually helped me to not feel like I was inhibited to be able to go after my dreams. And I do feel like my, both my parents would have wanted me to do that. Um, and so when I was in college, a lot of things that I was working for, I was like, okay, I got to just rush through college. I have to, you know, get out here, get a great job so I could support my mother. And so my mother had never gone to college. Um, she worked most of her life as like assistant manager at Kmart. Some of y'all might be too young to remember Kmart, but <laughs> for those who remember Kmart, I don't even know. Those who don't remember Kmart. But it's real, right? Like these kids are like, what's a Kmart? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like definitely, I might've been like the last generation with Kmart. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure. So my mom was assistant manager in the garden department at Kmart. Um, from there, she worked at a um, another store called Big Lots. So, so if you're from like the country, rural areas, the South, you might know what Big Lots is. But that's basically, you know, essentially where she maneuvered, making roughly around $28,000, $27,000 a year raising a family. And so as I was going through college, I was like, okay, I, I want to provide a better life for my mother. So when she passed away, I felt like that was taken away from me. And so I really had to realign, think about, okay, what am I going to do now? Like, what am I working for this hard? You know, who am I working this hard for? And I began to think about, okay, you know, how can I help those in my community? How can I build something to employ those around me to do something that they love? And that was generally like just the foundation of why I just started like just going towards entrepreneurship. And what about your support system? Because, you know, at that age, at 22, you know, most 22 year olds, their parents are their primary support system. So here you are, you know, starting an entire business and, you know, how did you put together the, the support system you needed? Yeah, so I am a huge believer of like advisors and I don't call them mentors, I call them like guides, um, like just guides in the world and in business. And I've always been a believer, even when I was like 18, sitting in a classroom, and I, if I had a professor that like really inspired me, I would go and make time to sit with them in their office to like learn from them, to tell them about myself, to learn, you know. Uh, more about how they got to where they are. And so I do feel that I had just captured over time this group, the support system around like advisors, mentors. Um, and then I have, a, I come from a large family, although my parents passed away, um, both of my maternal and paternal grandparents also are deceased. I do feel like I had this support um, group from my family, although they had no idea what I was doing, right? They're, you know, they're like, you're doing something, but keep going. <laughs> you know yet still what you do, or do they still have like no idea what you so do? My sister came to hear me speak at Harvard, and for the first time, she was like, I know what you do. <laughs> I finally figured it out. And so a few of them, but most of them have no idea what I do. <laughs> You wrote a book um, called Solid Ground, sharing the wisdom that you gained on your journey as an entrepreneur. Um, and in it, you caution, you know, I think especially this current generation that, you know, success is not going to happen on social media and it's not going to happen overnight. Um, as a matter of fact, you said that you took two years getting your affairs in order um, as you were starting the business. What exactly were you doing during that time? So, you know, to the point that you mentioned about um, just utilizing social media, I always just prescribe to the thought, like, don't build on rented land, right? 
Um, and that's what I look at a lot of social media platforms. It's not really ours, right? It can be pulled. We can, they could dismiss us <laughs> and remove all our profiles at any minute. And for me, when I started out, I was literally trying to build the foundation to um, the company and the business that I wanted to, to create. And that was from like legal filings. That was from talking to my advisors, mentors, figuring out how I wanted to actually um, put together proposals and how do I want to put together capability statements, right? Like what I um, do, I began to actually bring on some clients during those two years. Um, and so I'm just a big believer of, you know, having an idea, but not on the day of the idea of being like, oh, you know, here it is, I'm here to conquer the world. I'm like definitely a person that's behind the scenes, like building, building, building. Um, and then at some point it's like, okay, now we let the world know, now we wanna grow larger. We want more people to understand what we're doing and how they can play a part of it, how we can play a part of their success as well. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break here while we adjust our crowns um, and we'll be right back. Join the nation's boldest and most visionary black entrepreneurs, business owners, and empire builders. Let this year be your year. Join us for our Entrepreneur Summit, a virtual experience, November 12th through 13th, 2020. Go to blackenterprise.com forward slash Entrepreneur Summit to register now. Welcome back to Sisters Inc. We're chatting with Savitra Wilson. Savitra, um, one of the other things you tell entrepreneurs in your book is to put in the work and that opportunities will open up for them. Um, but you also mentioned that when you were first asked to set up a nonprofit for a friend, which was eventually how you ended up starting your business, you didn't really think that it was a real opportunity. So can you talk us through your process of how you assess opportunity and decide what to pursue and, and decide what to take a risk on? Absolutely. Um, you know, when it comes to like paying my dues, I've paid in two, right? And so <laughs> I was like, I paid for, overpaid at this point. Um, but I do feel like you do have to put in the work and opportunities will come towards you and the doors will open um, for you. You just have to be prepared to step into those opportunities. And so for me, when my first client came to me about starting a nonprofit, they essentially were like, oh, you know, we have, I've been trying to do this work in Chicago and back home in Baton Rouge, South Baton Rouge, where they were from. And they wanted someone to help them. And this was what um, Tyrus Thomas and his mother, Jessica, they wanted someone to help them get this nonprofit off the ground. And at the time I was working at CASA, so Court Appointed Special Advocates, um, that nonprofit. And I was like, oh, you know, is this you really gonna be you know, worth my time? And really, are they serious, right? And so you can go back and forth with someone about starting something, but they really have to be serious about it and you don't want to waste your time. And so when I'm vetting opportunities, it's about one, do I have that rapport with the individual across the table that I'm speaking to? Um, do they see, if they, not, if they don't see the vision clearly, can we get there, right? Can we execute together? Can we work together um, so that we can get to some endpoint or some goal or begin to collaborate in a way that's effective? Um, and then three, are they ready to get the paperwork in order and sign the contract, right? 
And so, yes, you do have to nurture. I'm an enterprise, right? And so sometimes our deals can be six, seven figures um, or more. And so those type of relationships you do have to like nurture. But then there are times where you have to, you know, spend your time on what's going to close in the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, um, and have a plan and structure that plan out of what that looks like. And if you do have to entertain and build a relationship over a year to close a larger, more lucrative deal, then you do that, but ensure that there are limits on your time so that you're not chasing um, deals that have one or two year, one or two years out um, and you're focused on them and not focused on what's in front of you. And so you definitely have to have that balance for sure. Um, in terms of building relationships, you've given out um, a lot of advice in the book. And um, there was one piece of advice though that I had literally never seen anywhere else. And I was like, this is so genius that I just had to talk about it, which is that, uh, you know, entrepreneurs spend so much time trying to get on people's calendars, trying to get meetings with people and get people to listen to them. And you're like, there are people who have to sit down and listen to you, but it's part of their job like elected officials go and talk to your local officials and you know they can connect you with so many things and i think that's that's such like an underutilized resource absolutely and i also think it's because i feel 2020 is the year that people are becoming more political right and they're learning a little bit more of how, like how politics work and i always tell people like these are public servants <laughs> like you know, everything is political, whether you know it or not, like your being, your healthcare, like everything that's around you is political. And so just step ease in, but particularly if you're in business, because when you think about politicians and the roles that they play and the work that they do, they know who everyone is in the community, right? If they're doing it right, they have touched, met with, shook hands with everyone in the community, all the way down from the CEO of some Fortune 500 company to um, the, the janitor that works at that same company to uh, the CEO that may live next door to them or the business owner that's, that lives next door to the person that's doing contracting. And so that's literally their job. And so for you, if you're looking to figure out like who are the players, um, one way to do that is to go and sit down with your elected official and run the gambit with them um, and come prepare, like know the questions to ask. If you are in marketing and advertising, right? Um, if you are, we targeted attorneys for their marketing and advertising early on in solid ground. And what we realized is that that was like a very niche space. And um, what we saw across the city was like attorneys, a ton of attorneys um, with horrible marketing and advertising, really no digital online presence. And we were like, oh, how can we target attorneys? Well, let me tell you, attorneys write checks to politicians. And we were able to just go through a gambit of a list, uh, of a list of like attorneys, right, who, um, this particular politician knew, and then they introduced me to like the individual that it was like the grandfather, right, in that community when it came to business. And I built a relationship and rapport with him, and he gave me business. He had multiple restaurants, right? And so I definitely um, feel that it is an overlooked area, a resource for entrepreneurs and business owners who are just starting. So find your local politician, arrange that meeting, and not just one, because you have multiple. Uh, you have multiple people that sit in your area from the council people um, to the school board members, to your state reps, to your Congress people. And so go through the gambit and ensure they know your name and know what you're doing and what you're seeking to do. 
you call yourself uh, a triple threat, young, black, female. Um, and around here, we know that that's a powerful conversation, uh, combination, but the outside world doesn't always look at it um, that way. And you mentioned that when you were starting out, you really felt like you were working from a deficit, which is like the heart of the matter of what we discuss on this podcast. It's all about Black women in business and, you know, how they overcome that deficit. So, you know, what was it like for you and how did you counteract it? Um, absolutely. And so, yes, the reason why we do feel like we have to jump 10 times higher, run 10 times faster, be 10 times smarter is because we are working from a deficit, right? And so when, you, when you're working from a deficit, you have to first get to even playing ground, which is hard in itself. And so if you're at the table, right? And so now you've done what you have to do to get to the table um, that you now are at. Now you're seeing the competition across from you. And so it's like, okay, what are you doing? doing to be able to compete? Um, how are you ensuring that you're providing um, the best services, the best capabilities, and at the capacity behind you to actually not only win, but then also execute the work. And so for us, it's not about just like, oh, being at the table, right? It's like, what can you do once you get there? How do you build out a team? How do you build out competencies to actually do the work? And then once you have the work, you know, how do you continue to rise and win bigger? And so I always tell people, I got into like government contracting, which took my company to a whole other level at a black enterprise entrepreneur summit out in Ohio met um, Nicole Parker there and she was talking about her journey through government contracting and I was like oh I have to get in this game and so I went back to Louisiana and I was like okay I need to prepare um, I need to prepare myself and understand what are my barriers to entry um, what exists out here for minority contractors like myself and so utilizing those things so the things that generally will hinder you you have to be able to like spin it and disadvantaged business owners, um, minority supplier um, development, A to A contracts. And so where are the things that have generally held you down or allowed you to have you work from a deficit, begin to find out how you can utilize those things to your advantage. And we began to do that and we began to secure large contracts because of it. And, um, you know, we might have been the only person that looked like us in the entire deal, but we were in the deal. Thank you so much, Savitra, for sharing your small business success story with us. Everyone out there, please take a look at her website, savitrawilson.com, where she shares even more tips and resources. And follow her on social media at Savitra Wilson. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com for Sisters Inc. and other podcasts from Black Enterprise editors, writers, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters Inc. on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or YouTube. And if you like what you hear, show us some love by leaving a five-star review or put a sister on by spreading the word. This is Elisa Gums with Sisters Inc. for Black Enterprise. Thank you for listening.